head into the message. I just want to um, read a text from um, Dave and Jan Elliott. And many of us have been praying for Dave uh, and Jan. Jan was taken to Cairns Hospital on Friday, I think it was. I remember Friday, yeah. With a possible um, stroke. And they're doing all the tests and everything like that. So he just writes to say, Thanks for alerting the prayer group. We have received some very encouraging messages to which I've responded. Current situation is Jan had a scan late yesterday, that Saturday, to find if any blockages in her blood vessels, if there are any blockages in blood vessels, still awaiting results. I can't imagine this. She's enjoying being spoiled by the stroke, stroke ward staff and, and, and David is enjoying being spoiled by his daughter. He's staying with his daughter in Cairns. Uh, keep on praying for Sandy and Scott. We've been praying for them. Scott had his leg amputated and he's working through um, uh, prosthetic options as well. Again, he says, please pass on your gratitude to the folk who are praying. Uh, God is good and we trust him every day. So isn't that encouraging? Uh, a real point of prayer. Just be praying for um, Leanne Crowther today. She's uh, not well and uh, rang me to say that she wouldn't be in church and I said we'd pray for her. So let's, let's pray for both these things. Father, there are other families as well that we bring before you, folk that are doing it tough uh, health-wise. Lord, thank you that uh, part of their strength is that they trust in you. And Lord, we want to bring them before you, we want to bring Jan before you, we want to bring Leanne before you today in particular. And ask, Father, that uh, you'll give them a peace which they uh, find really hard to understand, but it's a peace that comes from you. Father, you'll give them a trust in the medical staff as they do the tests and prescribe the medication and all the rest. And Father, that uh, you'll bring them home well soon. Father, we thank you that you are working in their bodies and we trust them to you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read from John chapter 8. We're looking at, um, at America on our journey. This is the, the second last week. So next week is the last week in our journey. Or is it? Yes, it is. Yep, it's the last week, I think it is, next week, in our journey through um, uh, Jesus the Game Changer to the ends of the earth. And we've seen the impact that the Gospel of Christ can have throughout history. And uh, America is one of those places where everybody thinks everybody in America is Christians, right? I didn't hear any no's there, but uh, I'm sure we realise that, like any other country in the world, following Jesus is a matter of faith. And there are many people who are not following Jesus. But that's not the way the country was started or intended to be started and we'll look at that in a moment. I want to read from John chapter 8 and in particular from verses 21 through to 36 and we're going to be looking at the freedom that we have in Christ. What's come about so that we have this freedom in Christ to be who he wants us to be. This is what uh, John writes from verse 21. Once more Jesus said to them, I'm going away. And you will look for me and you will die in your sin. He's talking to the religious leaders of the day. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what, why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of, the, you are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. And if you do not believe that, If you do not believe that I am the the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Couldn't get more straightforward than that, could he? You know, just telling it like it is. Who are you, they asked. 
just what I've been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Now, we've heard that a few times, that Jesus only spoke what the Father told him to speak. They didn't understand that he was telling them about his Father, about the one true God. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Absolutely. Are you getting the message? We are free in Christ because we've been set free from the punishment of our sin and disobedience. So, what was Jesus doing here this day? He was uh, speaking at the uh, Jewish feast. The, the tabernacles had just finished in Jerusalem. And he was boldly preaching to a crowd of people in the temple. They'd come to the Feast of Tabernacles. They were still there. This was about six months before he died on the cross for our sins. But those uh, Pharisees, those religious leaders, they were hard-hearted. They were unbelieving. They'd already been trying to kill Jesus for months. So the Lord was confronting them. Those who despised and strongly opposed him. He was speaking directly to them. He wanted to warn them about the judgment they would surely face if they continued to reject him as the true and promised Messiah. He was trying to make it so clear that they had no misunderstanding of what they were doing when they were, when they were, uh, when they were um, chasing him. This scripture talks about our freedom, our freedom in Christ. And the only place that we can try to find true freedom is in Jesus Christ. I want us to think about the freedom that God wants to give to all people today, not just to us. The freedom that he offers to all people. And as I've said, the the original intention of the first people that came to the shores of North America as as, uh, refugees, as it were, from Europe and Britain, they had the desire for that freedom that Christ gives to see a nation established based on that freedom. We're going to find out about what happened. Do you believe that all true freedom comes from God? I believe it's especially true when we talk about spiritual freedom. But I believe it's also true when we think about political freedom as well, or governance. All true freedom does come from God. And they tried to embed this in the Declaration of Independence, one of the key documents of the United States of America when it was first established as a nation. I want to look at a couple of these items and then come back to what the scriptures say. This is what happened. There's only a couple of paragraphs here. July 4, 1776. Something else happened in 1776 in the world history, didn't it? No? I thought there did anyhow. 
This is the Declaration of the 13 of the United States of America at the time, only small. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with one another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect for the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So think about this. They'd been in Europe, they'd been um, controlled by the church of the day. They believed in one God who wanted them to live faithful, worshipful lives and so they had to separate themselves from that form of government and religious dominance and that's when they came to the States and this is the result of that. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights but among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. What's another word for liberty? Freedom. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. The men who put this declaration together believe that all true freedoms come from God. And that's why they, that's, that, that was their hope in establishing the nation of the United States. One pastor that I read a lot of, Pastor Rick Crandall, he writes concerning this. He says, I think I've got that up there. No. He says, that's our foundation as a nation, speaking of the US. And though there are many who would like to steal our freedom away, by God's grace we still have the greatest political freedom in the world. But in the land of the free, it's safe to say that over 100 million people aren't really free because they don't know Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can truly set them free. So it's written into the history It's a part of the documentation. But are people truly free yet? No. Yes, a lot of people who don't know Jesus. We as followers of Jesus, we we need to thank God for the freedom that we have in Christ because not everybody has it. We need to be so thankful. So historically, what happened with these people? How did the um, people come to be in North America? They were chasing religious liberty or freedom in the 17th century. It was a big thing in the church of the day. In, in Europe predominantly, the uh, Roman Catholic Church was the predominant um, uh, denomination and the Pope controlled that. In the UK, in, in England in particular, the king said no. Uh, the Pope is not going to be head of the church in England. The king will be the head of the church in England. So basically it was the Catholic Church with just a different person in control. And part of the problem was that as the Reformation took place, there were certain countries where the Reformation wasn't having an effect or it wasn't being allowed to have an effect. And so there were people rising up from within these groups to try and initiate change. One of those peoples were called Puritans. They wanted to reform the Church of England from within. They wanted to say, hey guys, let's look at ourselves. Let's look at what's being taught. Let's look at how the Church is functioning Let's see if this is really what the Bible says and this is really what God wants. So, so the Puritans, you might have heard that term before, they were trying to reform the Church of England from within the Church of England. They had a great battle on their hands. There was another group of people called the Pilgrims and what happened was they separated themselves from the Church of England because they believed that it was beyond redemption in its current state of the time. 
they couldn't see any logical reason to put the energy and the effort in to change the church from within. They didn't disagree with the Puritans that it needed changing, but they felt they needed to step away and to, because they couldn't see God changing from within. So they ended up going to the Netherlands and then from the Netherlands they, set, they planned to set out in two ships to go to uh, North, Northern Africa, uh, Northern Africa, Northern America and um, to establish a colony there. Initially the colony was called the Plymouth Colony. They didn't end up taking two ships initially, they just took one, the name of the ship was the Mayflower. And they, they were prepared to go from Europe to North America in the middle of winter and survive the climate so, uh, for, because they believed God wanted them to go and establish a Christian community, a Christian nation. That was their, the bottom line of why they went. When they got there, the local indigenous peoples taught them about food gathering, taught them about survival skills. Uh, if they hadn't, then a lot of the colonists would have uh, perished. Many did, but a lot survived as well. One year later, they celebrated the harvest festival where they were able to grow crops and, and praise God for what he had done in their lives. And they also set up a commitment. They called it the Mayflower Compact before the uh, other documents were written. And they agreed to establish a government in which each member would contribute to the safety and welfare of the planned settlements. That was their initial thing. They felt that their freedom in Christ allowed them to move from the established church of the day, Church of England, to start a new church. They felt that freedom in Christ. What about us? Is Jesus the source of our freedom? Is God the source of our freedom? I believe that our freedom, our spiritual freedom, comes from no one else other than Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus said that in these verses. Once more, Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you'll look for me and I'll die and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that what he says? Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. How do we know that? The Bible tells us, Jesus tells us in the Bible, he left his home in heaven to come to this world to show us what God was like in, a, in a, a form that we could identify with, a human form. He died, he rose again and he went back to heaven. And that was all done so that the freedom that Jesus gives is available to us today. You know something? The freedom that Christ gives is something the world can't give and the world can't take it away. Is that true? The world can't give the freedom that Christ gives and the world can't take it away either. Verses 35 and 36 says this, Now a slave has no permanent place in heaven, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you, are, you will be free indeed. Somehow we've got to work through what does this freedom in Christ mean for us in our daily living? What does it mean? It means that both now and forever the world can't give it and the world can't take it away. It's a freedom that comes whether we're like Johnny Erickson Tartar, if you know her story. As a teenager, she dived off a platform into the lake and broke her neck and became a uh, quadriplegic. She's now about 70 years old, I think. So for 54 years or so, she's been a quadriplegic. And do you know? She is free in Christ. 
She might not be free from a disabled body, but her freedom is in Christ alone. Or you could be locked up in chains and put in a prison, the deepest dungeon like the Apostle Paul was, and still have that heaven-sent, Jesus-given freedom. Dave, I'm going to put you on the spot. Was there any people this week that discovered that freedom in Jesus? Yes. Okay, so do you know of any? Sorry? Any of the other chorus members here? You're a support person. Okay, alright, so... So I believe that as a result of people praying, there are people in prison today who are free in Jesus. God's still doing it. So we can thank God for that he is the source of our freedom. We can thank God for the safety that we have as followers of Jesus in the freedom that God has given to us. He has delivered us from the greatest danger anybody will ever see in life. Do you know what that is? Death. He has delivered us from death. If you look at verse 24, you're going to go from it? Yep. I told you, Jesus said to the religious leaders, that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Dying in your sins or in your disobedience, I believe, has to be the worst danger that anybody will ever face. To be cut off from God's mercy, to be sent to a place called hell, the Bible calls it, and suffering forever with no hope of escape. That's got to be the worst danger ever, hasn't it? That that anybody will face. He said, you will die in your sins. That's a terrifying warning that he was giving to them. But Jesus wants the world to know the horrible fate that's there for everyone who doesn't receive him as Lord and Saviour. You and I need to hear this warning as well because it should spur us on, give us that urgency to share the freedom that Christ gives, the salvation that Christ gives to people who haven't yet followed Jesus. In Australia, we live in a relative freedom, don't we, compared to other countries around the world? What good does it do to live in this free country if you only wind up in hell. And that's where people will surely wind up if they don't trust in Jesus as Lord and and as Saviour. I want to share briefly with a guy who knows, who knew, in the past he's died, but he knew what that fear meant. This guy, Sir Francis Newport, he was an atheist and he said this as he was dying. You don't need to tell me there is, you, you need not tell me there is no hell, for I already feel my soul slipping into its spine. Wretches, cease your idle talk about there being hope for me. I know I am lost forever. He didn't recognise Jesus, didn't recognise God. He knew what he was facing. And he also wailed in anguish, history records for us. Oh, that I could lie for a thousand years upon the fire that is never quenched to purchase the favour of God and be united to him again. But it is a fruitless wish. Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer the end of my torments than one poor hour. 
eternity, eternity forever and ever. Oh, the insufferable pangs of hell. Jesus was warning those leaders that if they didn't believe in him, they would face that eternal punishment that the Bible talks about. And this is the greatest danger that people will ever face. But is it what God wants for people? No, it's not. God's desire is this. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God's desire is. But he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to break your leg. He's not going to drag you by the scuff, scuff of your neck. He wants people to willingly accept that Jesus has died for their sins and disobedience and put their trust in him. Jesus will deliver anyone from the greatest danger and we thank God for that. We need to thank God for the security of our freedom. God's freedom is totally secure. It's it's protected by our perfect leader, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And again in that passage in John, they said, who are you? Jesus said, I, just what I've been claiming all along. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell to the world. They didn't understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you'll know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Is there any other person who can say, I always do the things that please my heavenly Father? Jesus is the only one that can say that. Because a lot of us aspire to that, but we make mistakes. But Jesus did it. He was the only one that could say that he did what the Father asked him to do. He's our leader. He's the one that is leading us as his church. We can trust him. That same pastor, Rick Crandall, that I mentioned before, made this comment about America. Many people in our country today are greatly concerned about the leadership we have in Washington today. And I am certainly one of those people. In fact, I am more concerned about our country right now than in any time in my life. Maybe some of us could say that about Australia today as well. Are we concerned about those in leadership making decisions? The federal and state politicians... I mentioned in past weeks that people often start out with organisations or, or ideas that are well-intentioned, but history reveals that scandals, poor decisions continue to be made. And sadly, that's, that's life today as well. One of the leaders of the new colony in the US was a man named William Penn. He was all about religious freedom. He was born to the Church of England, but you see the problems... He ended up uh, becoming a part of the Religious Society of Friends, which are called Quakers. And he went to uh, the the government of the day and asked for a selection of land in the new colony. And he was given a block, which is now called Pennsylvania, the state of Pennsylvania, named after him. He didn't want it named after him, but the authorities named it after him. And he founded the colony there on the basis of welcoming people of all faiths in Christ. So Christians were welcome to come. Whatever denominational background or the particular ideas they had, they could come. 
And he issued a charter of privileges, it's called, a, another document, which specified religious freedom in the colony. So he had the intent of starting that place based on uh, faith in Christ. In it, he wrote this, that, it, that, that there had to be a monotheistic, one God, Christian society, in which only Christians were permitted to hold office, public office. Gee, that's different now, isn't it? But he said that no persons, personal persons, inhabiting this province who shall confess and acknowledge one almighty God, the creator, and upholder and ruler of the world, and profess him or themselves obliged to live quietly under the civil government, shall be in any case molested or prejudiced. Sorry, I should have had it up there. In his or, or their personal estate because of his or their consciousness, persuasion or practice. Not be compelled to frequent or maintain any religious worship, place of ministry, contrary to his or their mind, or to do or super any act or thing contrary to their religious persuasion. He was addressing what he'd come from, the control of the church. He was saying it needs to come back to an individual's response to Christ. All persons, where are we? All persons who also profess to believe in Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, shall be capable to serve this government in any capacity. Wouldn't it be great if we had that same statement today in governments around the world? Like I said, started off well and then uh, sadly things happened along the way and and it got um, taken away from the original intent. The truth is that many countries down through the years have always had some good leaders and we can remember some good leaders around the world and some very bad leaders. The truth is that there are many thousands of good, godly men and women serving our country today, whether it be in public office or the military or education or whatever. But Australia, like the United States, never has had and never will have the perfect leader. Why? Because there's only one. Who is it? Jesus Christ. He is our perfect leader. He is the source. He is the security. He is the safety of our freedom. Jesus is the only man that could ever say, I always do those things that please my Heavenly Father. Is that true? Certainly it was true from his friend's perspective and some of his friends said this, but do you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. He obeyed the Father completely. Peter, who was often a bit critical, said, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was perfect. He was the perfect leader. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Even his enemies, some of them couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. Pilate's wife, do you remember what she said? Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She was having nightmares about him. What about Pilate? He said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And even Judas said this, I have betrayed innocent blood. The thief on the cross, who was previously blaspheming and cursed Jesus, he said this, this man has done nothing wrong. The centurion who oversaw Christ's crucifixion said, certainly this was a righteous man. So Jesus is the leader that gives us 
our Christian freedom. What did the ultimate witness say? God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, both at the beginning and at the end of his ministry. So we need to thank God not only for the source of our Christian freedom, the safety of Christian freedom, the security of Christian freedom, but also for the sacrifice of Christian freedom. And God's freedom came at the highest cost. We remember that today. The Lord reminds us of this in verse 28. Oops, go back. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Some of us would know the Old Testament history where the people of Israel rebelled against Moses. God allowed poisonous snakes to come into the camp. Moses cried out to God and God said, uh, make a pole with a serpent um, carving on it. When the people look up to that, they will not die as a result of the snake bite. So Jesus is referring back to that. The Jews would have understood that. And he was saying, when I am lifted up, which he was going to be on the cross, then people would know the freedom they have in Christ. I wonder, do you know that freedom today? Jesus has been lifted up. I wonder if you know him as Lord and Saviour. I wonder if you have that freedom in Christ that we've been talking about, that freedom to obey, that freedom to be a child of the living God. Do you have that? I pray that you do. And if you don't, please come and chat with me. I'd love to tell you what that's about. Because there's an incredible freedom in knowing who you are as a son and daughter of the living God. Let's pray. We're going to finish there. Um, thanks. Father, we thank you that Jesus is that one who is our security, our safety, our sacrifice. He is the one who enables us to come into that personal and intimate relationship with you. He is the one that gives us a purpose for today and a hope for tomorrow. He is the one that reminds us we are children of the living God. He is the one that reminds us that we are free to obey, free to obey what you tell us to do. We thank you for that. Lord, we pray for our families, our friends, our loved ones, our associates that don't know this freedom. In fact, they have a real fear as the basis of their lives in these days. And we pray that somehow, Father, you'll give us the opportunities to share with them and show them what it means to be free in Christ. That they too might come to the understanding that Jesus' death was for them too. And his resurrection is the hope that they can have when they place their faith in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.